0: our mission is to help creatives grow their business, hone their marketing, and share their stories via outstanding content. Merry Christmas, everyone! And so Merry Christmas. Christmas. And what have you done? You're welcome. <laughs> that is a lovely way to introduce this podcast episode. Are you feeling festive right now? Did I just inject it into you, Amy? You did, you did, as well as all the
1: trees and the mince pies and all the festive vibes.
0: Can you tell me when did you actually start baking Christmas foods? Because I know it was probably something uh, like outrageous, like April. Not really, but I know we're close to that. Not quite April. I think I did do a Christmas shoot in August and that was strange to make myself feel Chris I love Christmas but making myself feel Christmassy in August was difficult but um I've absolutely loved the last couple of months just putting glitter on absolutely everything that I bake so that has been basically the Christmas trend this year for say, like 2020 Christmas trend is glitter I love it glitter and gingerbread I just literally have gingerbread coming out of my ears <laughs> but you're not making it sound like it's a bad thing so I think you're not too upset about i'm smiling you. so big right now no i'm definitely not upset. i love christmas time i love all the baking and this year i've just really enjoyed it so um yeah it's been good how about you i, I i'm still quite sensory like yourself so for me it's been probably smellies so there's been candles there's been incense there's been anything and everything that could kind of like feel christmas has been yeah. showered to me right now that's <laughs> how i was Yes, I just put another candle on. That's kind of been my vibe. Um, But I want like guys looking at Amy's Instagram, I felt like I just needed more gingerbread in my life. So I can second that that's been something that you transmitted to me, basically.
1: And And that's what I
0: love actually about things like photography. And we're talking about photography today. So obviously segueing into the content side of things. It can really create that connection and really evoke those feelings. And that's kind of like those, you know, those memories that you have. And aside from, obviously, the Christmas vibe, mm-hmm. I was wondering, is there anything talking about content and photography and kind of your own evolution that either you experimented with or that you learned this past year when it comes to creating content and actually f- shooting your food? Mm. I have really tried this year actually to
1: educate myself a bit more and, and all completely self-taught or well, in the sense that I've, I've read blogs like Kimberly, I guess I absolutely love her blog and she shares quite a few
0: tips which I love Um, and I guess lighting is my really big one I've only ever shot in natural light and I only really want to I think it's beautiful but really learning how to harness it and the kind of props that you might need to make that better or to get rid of some problems and I guess the power of light room as well the power of editing is incredible (laughs) And I love that because you literally, without knowing, not just introduce our guest. Well done, Amy. Yes. You even uh, managed to kind of like touch on a few points that Kimberly is actually going to talk us through, uh, which are light, which are Lightroom, actually. And obviously the power of props. So it is, as you say, you love the blog and you can definitely see that you love her content. So you guys are in for a treat. Uh, in fact, we are going to talk or I'm going to talk to the lovely Kimberly Espinel. She's an award winning food photographer. She's a stylist, a blogger and an educator. And she has taught thousands of students from around the world that are to food photography and styling. And not just that, she's also coming out with her first book which we are going to talk about as well a bit today, which is all about food photography. So guys, you're in for a treat. And yes, I'm really excited about this one. It was lovely to finish this uh, year with this kind of like sort of like looking back, but also talking about what to get excited about for the new year. And so I really hope you enjoyed this podcast. But before that, I want to see from all of us to you a very, very happy festive season. I think we all deserve that. We do. Merry Christmas, everyone. That's awesome. And before we jump out, I just want you to know that we're going to be back, before I forget, in Fab, However, so with the normal, make an impact show, woot, woot. however, you will get a couple of surprises at the very beginning of the year. I'm not going to say much more. And also in the first month in January, there's going to be a really exciting surprise slash off. So yes, we'll be back with Amy in Fab, but watch out because there's going to be more to come right before that
1: good morning Kimberly good morning how
0: are you I am I'm I'm stoked I'm in front of a professional podcaster it was an amazing setup for me and it doesn't often happen and I love one of my guests but it's nice to be able to see Got the mic, we got the headphones, got it
1: all. Yeah, you know, that little crisp (laughs) sound who doesn't love a crisp sound (sighs) exactly? Exactly. Although, yesterday I did an interview actually, and they had like a little, like that little round thingy. You know, I was like, wow, that I need to get that. That's when you
0: know when they got the little shield, which. I think, I think probably I'm definitely going to sound like the person that is very, very unsmart here, but I'm always wondering like how much of a difference it makes. Obviously it gets some sharpness.
1: It takes out some of the noise, but I always look at it and I'm like, what do you actually do? I think it probably makes a difference, but you know, as you're showing, you can do a podcast as long as the content is good and the sound is decent, just with an iPhone headphones and, and it's fine. So (laughs)
0: <laughs> but yeah, it's true. I see them a lot myself. And I think exactly the same. I'm like, I should definitely invest in that one next. Mm,
1: mm.
0: Uh, but you're right. Like, the, the, I think the beauty of um, being able to connect through the medium of audio, especially with podcasts these days, is that even if some of them are a bit more produced, you know, like there's an element, think of quality. And when did you start yours again? Do you remember the year?
1: Yes, I started 2018.
0: Yeah. So even then, actually, the quality has jumped so much. I think probably from last year, maybe that's kind of when yeah. it really jumped.
1: Yeah.
0: And I think it made a difference. I remember I did my first one, which some people that are listening might remember it, in 2014. Wow. I'm not even going to get started by telling you how bad it was.
1: <laughs> that's amazing that you've been doing it for so long. I didn't know that. I didn't know
0: that. was two iterations and then I stopped that one so it's kind of it was but it was about a year a year of that one Mm -hmm. and I learned so much and I think because of that I really like to keep my conversations and everything very unedited there's an element Mm -hmm. of it but it's also kind of like when it's too post-produced I find that I lose a bit of the magic Mm -hmm. Um, and I kind of like to be able to add that but it's definitely been a wind in the last two years for sure What's been a big difference for you? Just jumping on this just quickly because again I think it's still really interesting and to get the chance to talk to more seasoned podcasters often. What would you say has been uh, maybe like a change that you've seen in 2020? I guess actually that's the end of the year is finishing at the time of recording, so let's go with that. Um, when it comes maybe to either your listens or the engagement or the numbers or the guests? is there something that you've seen changing when it comes to your podcast?
1: You know, the, the main, the one big thing I've seen change is that now people know what podcasts are. Like literally two years ago, you'd be like, I have a podcast and they'd be like, what's a podcast? But now really it's very, very mainstream. So I would say that I'd also say that once a pandemic hit, like the, that first, Whatever month or something, I did see download numbers go down. I was like, what? I don't get it. But I think because people weren't commuting and people weren't traveling, they were at home, you know, but it's picked up again. So that's, you know, that's been good. But I did notice that as well. So, and I heard other podcasters experience something similar. So I know that that's, you know, that wasn't just me. So yeah. That is so interesting though. And I cannot agree
0: enough. It's just, You would expect almost, I think in my head, you would expect, well, people would start listening to this more, but habits had to change so fast and Mm -hmm. so quickly and people had to find their feet. And so they were actually, I think we became a bit more conscious of our time in a way Mm -hmm. uh, and a bit more mindful at, at that as well. And I think that's been really, really interesting when it comes to the consumption. So we see, we saw that as well. By the way, I'm just going to say we saw that as well. Interestingly, went down and then it spiked up massively yeah. after that. And I was
1: like, "Hello, yeah.
0: <laughs> hello, little friend. Nice it's to see nice, you. It's
1: nice when that happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah."
0: <laughs> Another question on the podcast, just to lead us into obviously uh, some of the things that we're going to talk about today. Um, how? How did you come up with refining each capture and share so much that now it is what it is? Let me explain. I think you are one of the few people that I know that really focus so much on the audience that you focus on because it's very specific and it provides different elements and different types of support for the creatives, the bloggers, the photographers, but it is still very, very niche. So how how have you found that that has worked out for you at the beginning versus right now?
1: Um, so I would say the reason that I chose the podcast and the topics was. One, I really, really listened to my audience and I really thought about who is there, what do they want? And when I started my podcast, there were already a few podcasts for food bloggers, but they were uh, main, there was, uh, or or bloggers, a lot of them with men as their the presenters. And also some of it was very kind of technical and, you know, all the stuff we need, like we need to know about SEO. We need to know about whatever, you know, whatever platform we need to host our blog or whatever, or what camera we need. But then there was something about having that and the business side and then the heart piece. I didn't find that anywhere. Like I didn't find that, that podcast that had some more emotion in it. Like I know a lot of my audience have that. And so that's kind of why I started it. And, um, And you know, in terms of how it's evolved, I really do look a lot at. First of all, sometimes I just think, you know, this is an important topic. Like I did a topic around eating disorders amongst food bloggers. Was it my most popular episode ever? No, I didn't get as many downloads as my Instagram, you know, episodes. But I still felt I need to put this out there. You know, this. Sometimes I do that—that I do something that just feels right to me, and that I want to talk about. But if, but nine out of ten times, I am guided by my download numbers so if I can see these are things that people are talking about or concerned about or you know enjoying then I bring that in more so that's kind of how it's evolved I'd say and I I mean I want to shout it I'm gonna shout
0: it now guys because sometimes I do start laughing really loud and I think the poor listeners is like what fab stop this but I would like to shout from the rooftops if I could how important it is to whatever medium you're looking at and I'm gonna ask another medium very quickly about this but really to do that market research, which can look so different in so many ways, depending on which medium you're focusing on. In your case, rightfully, you look at the downloads and start seeing those patterns. And I think it's so important. And that leads me to the question about the other medium, which is actually the little baby. I call them babies. When there's a book, guys, I call the books baby books because my my books are my baby books. So I want to talk about your, in this case, upcoming baby book. Yeah. Um And I wanted to ask you actually, because of the interesting topic, I'll let you tell us a bit more about what the book is about as well. But on top of that, was this yet another conscious decision that came from what your audience wanted? Or what was the origin of the book itself?
1: Yes. So, you know, what's really interesting is I have been offered a handful of cookbook deals over the years, you know, and the thing is, if I look at my stats, and if I look at what my audience is telling me, and if I look at where the bulk of my income is coming from, it's not coming from recipe development. It's not coming from, you know, it's not the content that my audience likes most. And also, am I that fabulous a recipe developer today to put something on the market? And and, and the thing is, you also have to, when you produce a book, as you know, you have to market it. And you can only really market it if if you're proud of what you've produced, if you feel that you're bring something unique and special to the table. And you know, I'm a good cook, but I'm not, as we speak today, not phenomenal. Okay. So I just knew that wasn't the book for me to write, but I kept getting requests, you know, aren't you gonna do food photography book? Aren't you gonna do food photography book? And I was like, you know what? Yeah, I think I am. And, um, and so that's really how the idea came about. So I pitched that to loads of publishers and none of them wanted to proceed with it. And, you know, initially I was like, oh my God, maybe they're right. Maybe, you know, cause they can't, you know, they kept coming back with nobody wants to buy this book. No, you know, nobody's into food photography enough to buy a food photography book. If they want to know about food photography, they can go on YouTube you know, like it's, it's very, very niche. I was like, it's not niche. Everybody shares their food on Instagram. Like everyone's doing it and everyone wants to get better and not everybody wants to invest in a course. And so, yeah, I just felt it was time for this book and I believed in this book enough to self-publish it. So that's kind of how it all came about. Yay.
0: Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yes, Queen. I'm 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 all for that. I think that whatever path is supposed to happen, it's is gonna unfold. I I did a similar thing where I pitched so many publishers and then eventually somehow I got one. But I was already, you know what? It's kind of interesting. I was already set in my heart to be like, if it doesn't happen, this book needs to be something that people need, therefore it's gonna happen anyway, and then the publishers appeared and that was a great solution. But if not, I would have gone the same way mm-hmm. and still do it by myself if that was mm-hmm. the case. And I think it's such an important reminder. And especially, I'm going to uh, iterate something else you said, which I think is very important. You could have gone with what people wanted you to do. But from what I'm hearing, there was something inside you said, mm-hmm. No, this is not really, as you said, the thing that I want to shout from the rooftops about. It's not really what my most of my audience wants help with. So I'm gonna actually say no to this opportunity because I want to say yes to what really speaks to me. And I think that provides a lot of bravery and courage, and also a lot of resilience. So well done, you girl. Well Thank
1: done. Thank you. Thank you so much. I I think actually, you know, I really believe that we all have something that we're exceptional that that something that is our gift and I think it's important to give to listen in to see what that is for you I'm not a super gifted cook you know but I am a gifted teacher of food photography and so I definitely wanted to to step into that fully and I felt the book was the right way to do that so
0: yeah and I think it's very important. Another thing that you mentioned that not everybody maybe wants to first, I know they also do, do the courses, but maybe they don't want to first invest in the course or maybe they don't know which course they can invest in. And so I think in itself, you create that manual that can, you know, that people can have, that can tell them these are some of the things you can look into and it can guide them to see what type of photography or what type of style they really want to represent their food. Because I think... um excuse me when it comes to food photography is that personality in general visuals is about recognition and like being able to Mm. stop scrolling if we do go on instagram and see this is kimberly again or this is fab i see her that's the that's the recognizable flair the touch Mm. and and i think it's such an important thing as well so again obviously the book itself is going to have loads of ideas but i wanted to talk about a few elements a few things that uh, maybe starting with something that is like your top tip, that could be potentially something a bit more basic, but not less important. And maybe even looking at some other things that might be a bit more refined, in, depending on wherever you are in your food photography journey. If you are a food blogger or food photographer or stylist, you can implement
1: some of these so what will be your number one? The number one, what would it be? The number one, without a speckle of a doubt, is to really study light. And so a lot of people are like, you know, I, I know light. I'm, I'm placing my plate near a window. I'm doing backlight. I know it. But I think if you want to distinguish yourself from, you know, shooting nice photos and creating nice looking food photos to really creating food photos that are sort of next level, it's really about understanding light much deeper. So understanding how light changes throughout the day, understanding how shooting light in different rooms will make it different, understanding how using a bounce board or reflector is going to make it different again, understanding what foods look better with backlight and side light, like really studying it nitty gritty looking at how does shooting in the morning differ from shooting in the afternoon? How does the, how does the light, the tone of the light differ in summer versus winter? Like all those little minute details that were just like, oh, you know, it's just the same window, the same plate. I'm just going to quickly do my toast. Actually, those fine minute differences make a huge difference To the quality of your photo and so really studying light being a student of light that is I'd say my number one tip
0: I have a question on that again because you mentioned like a couple of things the little micro things that we need to take um, into uh, um, you know consideration and a thousand percent whether you're doing lifestyle food or whatever you might be you know you might want to listen and actually apply to other things sometimes I would say that, you know, different seasons will come different challenges. That's one thing that I want to say, because it kind of you mentioned it and it comes up. But would you say there is a, a misconception, maybe from your students, or maybe from your listeners, you know, your your followers, when it comes to light? What do you think is the biggest misconception? Because you talk about a couple of things that you can do or take into account. But I'm sure there's something that either everybody asks you, everybody gets wrong or everybody is a bit clueless about when it comes to yes. light.
1: So number one is that people are often afraid of shadows. So they're like, oh my God, there's shadows in my photo. Oh my God, let me get a balance board. But actually, it's all about balance because there can't be highlights if we don't have nice, rich shadows to balance that out. And getting the balance right is actually key to making your food look lush and three-dimensional and moving away from those really flat images. But a lot – and and also this idea that if you shoot light and bright and if you've got this kind of fresh – you know, especially vegan bloggers got this fresh look and stuff. They're like, oh, my God, you know, I, cannot, I can't have shadows – You can have a super fresh, super bright photo, but still have defined rich shadows, and it's going to add so much to your photo rather than take anything away. So that's misconception number one. And then misconception number two is that people think that to create dark and moody shots, you have to underexpose. No, you don't underexpose. It's it's really, really important to get your exposure right. And underexposing, also for, for people who want to go further and for people who want to submit their images to magazines and that kind of thing, underexposing is a no-no, especially if you want to go to print. And so, you know, getting that out of your, your repertoire ASAP is really important.
0: And actually without one more question about light, I okay. promise. Okay. But it was about the moodiness, because I think it's so important. Like as soon as you said, don't underexpose. I could think about sometimes myself, not that I do a lot of food photography anymore, I do the occasional, but it's not my trade and that's fine. Mm-hmm. But also people that we know, creatives that you know we work with and people that really love the food side of things. I could literally hear them all saying that. Like, mm, maybe I need to just go darker and moodier. And I think it's so important, especially what you mentioned about you know, if you want then to present your pictures, not just on Instagram, but you want to be able to offer another medium, you need to remember that. And I think it's just the perception of what we see sometimes on the screen. And you know, it's, it's it's that final product. But as you say, the moving parts, especially with lights, there can be so many different ones. And I think it's really important uh, to mention that. So yeah, I cannot stress enough that's something that happens all the time. So moody, as Kimberly said, it doesn't mean that you have to go literally to a dark room, uh, like put the exposure down and just cover yourself with a blanket. It's possible <laughs> to do it in other ways. Now, is there, let's go back to something else. Maybe another tip, another something that you can think about that you would say is, you know, maybe like going away from light, something that maybe people don't think about as much as a tip that you can mm-hmm. suggest and share.
1: Yes, and this one I think is really important for, especially for people who are sharing the content on Instagram, which most of us are, and also people who want to establish themselves as a brand, a personal brand. I think the second tip I want to share is how important it is to study color theory in detail and understanding where you sit you as as a person, your personality, your brand, where you sit, what colors you gravitate towards. If you can create that, so it feels more together, and then understanding how colors go together, and yeah, so I think that's that's really important. And, and you know, if you do that, you just create a much more cohesive look, a much more curated Instagram feed, but you also make your images, and something you mentioned earlier, you also make it that if people scroll, they can be like, oh my gosh, that is so-and-so's photo, that is Emily's photo, that is Sarah's photo, like they'll know. And a lot of that is to do with color theory. and, And you also apply color theory when you edit, because editing in Lightroom is actually color theory, most of the things you know, except for exposure, whatever. But all of the other things are all about color theory. So understanding that, understanding how you change the shot and give it the vibe and feel and everything with the colors that you're choosing and warm white balance and all those, that's really, really important to create that signature look.
0: I'm hoping I'm not going to get ahead of something that you were going to say, but (laughs) I'm going to ask anyway, because when it came to color, again, another thing, um we said that recognition and within thinking about as you said that recognition the element of like what pops out as colors I also thought about especially when you mentioned editing then filters as well I was thinking hmm how I I know your photography I see your photography and I know it like your style so what I was going to ask you is where do you stand when it comes to using those filters especially in food photography because I have quite a few friends of food photographers And would you say that to you being able to, you know, play and adjust and really spotlight colors is the best way or where do you sit with it? Obviously, I know the different people have different opinions, but I think especially when you're starting out, you find that could be a bit of a safe
1: safety blanket sometimes. Do you know, I think if there's so many people, actually, I think you're very extroverted and and brave and you have no problem sharing content on, on social. And, you know, a lot of people are like that. But there are also a lot of people who are very scared to share their work online. You know, it's like not perfect and it's not right. And I need to learn this and I need to do everything perfect before I can share my first photo. And so for those people, I would say if using filters or presets that you buy, if that allows you to, you know, dip your toes in the water and put your work out there, go for it do it but I think you're right like it can turn into a little bit of a, a safety blanket as you said so what I suggest and, and also it stops you from developing your own style because ultimately what you want is you want to edit in your signature way to create your signature look and so using a, a filter that you get somewhere or a preset that you get somewhere you know is not going to allow you to do that so I think it's really important to work with colors in editing and then save those settings as presets now saying that i do have some presets that i sell but what i do is i offer basic edits in in those presets and then outline exactly where people need to go to make changes to create their signature look. So they're kind of like the foundation, and then you build on that. And that's really, again, for those people who are still at the start, not quite sure, a little shy, feeling overwhelmed. But I think if you want to go the long haul, you want to really make it as a feed photographer, shoot your own cookbook, that kind of thing, you need to have your own presets and your own editing signature look.
0: And I think it's so important as well, what you mentioned, like, again, understanding that different people also come with different expectations and different sort of confidence when it comes to sharing their content. And sometimes, and I think it, regardless whether it's visual, video, audio, you will build that confidence as you go along. And so, as you mentioned, if something like a filter, it can be the help that you need to find, like you're finding your fee, um, I think it's very important because I know that some people resonate with that. And it's that kind of thing where you don't want to feel like you're guilt into not using them. If that's kind of how you're, as you said, how you're developing your style and then being able to then, obviously, the next step is developing your own preset because they are realistic. I mean, I'm <clears throat> not food photographer here, but they can be the shortcut, right? Like I guess the yeah, presets totally. and those editing is just what helps making things pop making things moody making things brighter so they are the little shortcuts that help you create totally. that consistency right
1: and also we're all super busy do you know what i mean like we can't be editing for 10 hours on uh, on every single photo like we have content to put out in the world so i think presets are can be super helpful filters can be super helpful if used correctly again
0: i hope I, that wasn't like one of the top tips that i kind of stole from you but uh What would be, again, let's, let's say one more, one more thing that you can really think can be incredibly helpful, especially for people when it comes to approaching food photography.
1: So I would say it really, really is worth spending a little bit of money on really good props really good props. And I don't think you have to have loads. I mean, there's like 10, 20 that I always turn to. And the thing is, you don't have to go out and buy them all at once. You build it little by little. But again, the props you use and from cloths, even to backdrops and all the little tiny little details of little pinch bowls and salt and pepper bowls. And, you know, I think those really, really just elevate your photography and just take it to the next level so that would be my final tip
0: what is talking about it's like talking about a baby now what (laughs) would be your favorite prop and why is there one that really speaks to you maybe emotional attachment maybe the first one you bought whatever it is is there something you can think about that is a prop that you really
1: love using and why is that so there is one backdrop which is it's by a company called Woodville and it's this purple backdrop like it's it's like an aubergine type of backdrop and i remember i bought it and first i was like oh my god what did i get like i was crazy but then i used it and i felt so bold using it and i felt so brave and now that is like i feel that backdrop is me <laughs> You know, like I just, I can't, like sometimes I'm not a lot of people have it. Very, very few people have it. But when I do see somebody using it, I'm like, that's, that's my look. That's mine. <laughs> so that backdrop, I'm obsessed with that backdrop. I, if I could, I would use it every day. So that is, that's my favorite at the moment. I
0: love that. That is such a cute. <laughs> and I love the fact that you're like, mm-hmm. I see Karen is using the no brushing background. <laughs> Interesting. But I understand. It's that I think, especially, you know, with that visual element, it's just something that then, again, it connects you to yourself as well in a way. You kind of connect it to maybe some of the shoots that you did, some of the recipes, some of the stuff that you created. So I can understand how that it kind of brings that connection. And then it's like a signature look, like you would have for a lot of other things as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah um one question that is just to kind of like close off that is a bit unrelated to the just overall arching tips but still about food photography would you say there is one trend or one style or one anything really that you see could be something that we're going to start seeing in 2021
1: so the one thing that is coming in strong and it has been now for I'd say a year or so but it's not just more and more people doing it, is a sort of harsh light look. So a lot of people are doing it. It's very, very trendy. And a lot of people are creating it or amplifying that look with artificial light. So we are going through a little bit of an artificial light, harsh light movement at the moment. And I don't see that going away. And, And a lot of people are creating some really interesting, funky looks with that. So I think that's something to continue to look out for.
0: And just to close up on that, how do you personally spot the trends? But I mean, how do you keep up, obviously, with the inspiration, keep fresh, keep that visual inspiration fresh, but also help yourself, as as kind of we mentioned, like spotting these things that are coming, that are kind of consistently kind of growing within the space?
1: I mean, obviously, Instagram is a huge place for inspiration, Pinterest as well, magazines. And... Yeah, just just those, I would say those three things are really where I can tra- trend spot. And in terms of me staying inspired is I think spending some time away from those places to just have a play and experiment and do things that I, you know, shoot something I haven't shot before or so that I don't only fall into reproducing what I've seen, you know, on the internet, but also allow myself to continue to fine tune my own style.
0: I think it's so important, Um, obviously we were not as attuned as uh, like you know that type of art that maybe we would by the way I don't know you know how how many years into people are going to listen to this but there was a time when we all us like slightly older souls like <laughs> art classes and stuff I know they're pretty sure that they're still out there but I remember there was a big thing for us and I remember studying all these different types of art and then I see some food photography these days and to me it looks like mm-hmm. that piece of art because there is a unique style but also sometimes it's bold sometimes it's creative so sometimes it's completely random and I think that's that fascination of actually being able to develop, as you say, your own style sometimes means stepping back from that constant kind of inspiration because it then doesn't allow you really to be flipping the script as much.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So I, I really agree with that because again, I've I've seen it so much in so many other areas when it comes to creativity.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Now The last question,
0: the real last question, the one that we ask everyone. <laughs> cough, cough. If you were, To have brunch with anyone dead or alive, who would this person
1: be? Mahatma Gandhi. I love it. Bam! She didn't. It's not even hard. (laughs) (laughs) Would
0: you would you cook the brunch? Would you would you take him somewhere? What what would you do?
1: Well, of course, he wouldn't be impressed with anything. Or, you know, he's he was very much about not giving in to sens- sen- sensual pleasures, as it were. Um, I would probably make a doll or something, you know, something really nice and simple, vegan. Yeah, pro- yeah he wouldn't be impressed with me taking him to some sort of pub. <laughs> so really simple and cozy at home, I think. Love that, love that. Um, thank you so much
0: for being here with me today. Thank you so much for sharing some of your wisdom. Now, if people want to find out more about you, about the book, about everything else, where should we lead them?
1: If you come and hang out with me on my blog, which is called thelittleplantation.co.uk, there's links there also to my book. And Little Plantation on Instagram or on any podcast app, um, eat, capture, share.
0: Thank you so much again for taking the time. It was (laughs) lovely chatting to you. Thank you so much. Take care. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to check our show notes for more juicy goodness about this episode. If you loved it, please take some time to give us 5 stars on iTunes. And make sure that you let us know your haha's and takeaways on Instagram at creativeimpactco. Also, you can find out more about us on our website at creativeimpact.group.